0: Welcome to the April 6th, 2023 episode of Blood Podcast, your source for innovative ideas and cutting-edge information. Our topics are based on articles published in Blood, a journal of the American Society of Hematology. First on today's podcast, optimizing the value of post-transplant lenalidomide maintenance in multiple myeloma. Extended genetic profiling may help to identify patients who derive exceptional benefit from this treatment approach. Up next, T-cell immunotherapies targeting AML antigens upregulate MHC class 2 expression on AML cells. The findings suggest that these treatments may be particularly well-suited for use in relapse post-allogeneic transplant. Finally, young bugs rejuvenate old blood. Transplanting fecal microbiota from younger mice into older mice improved hematopoietic stem cell function and restored lymphoid differentiation potential. This highlights the importance of gut microbiota in HSC aging and points the way to potential new therapeutic approaches. Our first research article is Optimizing the Value of Lenalidomide Maintenance by Extended Genetic Profiling an analysis of 556 myeloma 11 trial patients. And the first author is I. Katerini Panopoulou of the Institute of Cancer Research in London, United Kingdom. The immunomodulatory drug lenalidomide remains the only licensed maintenance therapy for treatment of patients with newly diagnosed multiple myeloma after autologous stem cell transplantation. In multiple randomized phase 3 clinical trials, single-agent lenalidomide maintenance phase consistently prolonged both progression-free and overall survival versus placebo or observation. In a meta-analysis including three of those trials, median progression-free survival was almost 53 months for lenalidomide maintenance versus 23.5 months for placebo or no maintenance. However, progression-free and overall survival vary widely for individual patients, both in clinical trials and in clinical practice, and some post-hoc analyses have suggested that lenalidomide lacks efficacy in patients with high-risk cytogenetic abnormalities. Ultimately, predicting the probability that an individual patient will benefit from lenalidomide maintenance is not straightforward. So in the present study, Panopoulou and colleagues used genetic profiling data to determine which patients might benefit the most. They focused on patients with the UK NCRI Myeloma 11 Phase 3 trial, which included more than 1,400 patients with newly diagnosed multiple myeloma who were eligible for autologous stem cell transplant and were randomized to lenalidomide versus observation following transplant. Inclusion in the current study was based on the availability of baseline marrow for extended genetic profiling, which was available for 556 of these patients. The investigators assessed copy number aberrations, including DEL1P, GAIN1Q, and DEL17P, and adverse translocations, including T414, T416, and T420. Overall, 32% of the patient samples were single-hit, in other words, one risk marker while 17% were double hit with two or more risk markers, and the remaining 51% carried no high-risk operations. Looking at all 556 patients together, regardless of risk category, median progression-free survival was 53.8 months for lenalidomide maintenance versus 27.3 months for observation. Median overall survival was 80.7 months versus 78.5 months for lenalidomide and observation, respectively. These outcomes were consistent with the previously published overall results of Myeloma 9 with regard to lenalidomide maintenance versus observation. However, lenalidomide had the most substantial impact on progression-free survival in patients with a single cytogenetic abnormality, with a hazard ratio of 0.38 versus 0.46 for no-hit and 0.55 for double-hit. Drilling down on the single-hit group, the benefit of lenalidomide maintenance was especially pronounced in patients with isolated DEL1P, DEL17P, or T414. Outcomes for this subset of patients were analyzed together for progression-free survival 2, defined as the time from maintenance randomization to second progressive disease, third anti-myeloma treatment, or death from all causes, and for overall survival. This analysis showed that median progression-free survival 2 was 60.5 months with lenalidomide versus 29.7 months for observation only. Median overall survival was not reached with lenalidomide maintenance versus 70.8 months with observation. By contrast, patients with isolated gain 1Q appeared to derive no benefit from lenalidomide maintenance versus observation, and patients with double-hit myeloma had what could be described as limited benefit from lenalidomide maintenance with overall poor survival outcomes. That translated into a median progression-free survival of just 22.5 months for lenalidomide maintenance versus 10.6 months for observation, and median overall survival of 47.3 versus 32.8 months, respectively. In a commentary, Maria Victoria Mateos and Veronica González Calle of University Hospital of Salamanca in Spain say that based on this study, comprehensive cytogenetic screening is needed for all patients with newly diagnosed multiple myeloma. They note that while this post hoc analysis of the myeloma 11 study has limitations, the findings provide clarity on the efficacy of lenalidomide maintenance when using genetic profiling that goes beyond the traditional determination of only DEL17P and T414. They add, quote, The future for myeloma is a risk-adapted therapy. Lenalidomide should be the standard of care after transplant in patients with standard risk or single-hit abnormality. New drugs and drug combinations need to be explored to improve outcomes for high-risk patients, according to the commentary authors. That includes proteasome inhibitors such as carfilzomib, anti-CD38 monoclonal antibodies such as daratumumab, or even bispecific antibodies targeted to the B-cell maturation antigen, or BCMA. In their discussion, the study authors say their work is the first demonstration of a molecularly defined subgroup of myeloma patients who derive exceptional benefit from maintenance lenalidomide. They also say these results strongly support using lenalidomide maintenance after autologous transplant for patients with isolated DEL1P, DEL17P, or T414, and extended profiling should be considered at diagnosis for all transplant-eligible patients with newly diagnosed myeloma. That would help to identify patients with those isolated risk markers, as well as patients with double-hit tumors who are an ultra-high-risk group in need of novel maintenance approaches. The next research article is entitled, Flotituzumab and Other T-Cell Immunotherapies Upregulate MHC Class II Expression on Acute Myeloid Leukemia Cells. The first author is Joseph C. Raimondo of Washington University School of Medicine in St. Louis, Missouri. It's clear that allogeneic hematopoietic stem cell transplant, or allo-HCT, is a very effective and potentially curative strategy in patients with acute myeloid leukemia, or AML. This benefit reflects the potent graft-versus-leukemia effects that are mediated by donor-derived and allo-reactive effector cells. Yet relapse of AML is one of the most common and significant adverse effects seen following allo-HCT and has dismal outcomes. New treatment strategies are clearly needed. Hence, there has been considerable research to identify mechanisms of immune escape from graft-versus-leukemia effects that may precipitate relapse. One such mechanism could be downregulation of MHC class II surface expression on AML blasts, which is observed in as many as half of AML patients who relapse following transplant. And conversely, it has been shown that incubating leukemic cells with interferon gamma upregulates expression of MHC 2 That background leads us to the present research article by Raimondo and co-authors. The researchers hypothesized that T-cell immunotherapies directed toward AML surface antigens, such as CD123, CD33, and CD371, could upregulate MHC2 on AML cells by activating T-cells to locally release interferon gamma. Specifically, the paper looked at flotituzumab, a bispecific antibody targeting CD123 and CD3, as well as CAR T cells designed to target CD123, CD33, or CD371. They found that these t-cell immunotherapies indeed did upregulate surface expression of mhc2 on human aml cells they demonstrated this first in co-culture experiments using an aml cell line that had intermediate mhc2 expression and again in four samples with aml patients relapsing after allo hct that had low mhc2 expression additionally flotutuzumab upregulated expression of mhc2 in a patient-derived xenograft model as well as in patients with relapsed refractory AML who were treated with the bispecific antibody in a phase 1-2 clinical trial. Further investigations implicated interferon gamma in the process. Co-culture of AML cells with either T-cells plus flotituzumab or with CAR-T cells targeting CD123 significantly increased interferon gamma supernatant levels in vitro. And taking that a step further, the investigators were able to prevent flotituzumab mediated upregulation of MHC2 with antibodies neutralizing interferon gamma and the interferon gamma receptor 1. Similarly, upregulation of MHC2 with flotituzumab could be prevented through knockout of interferon gamma receptor 1, as well as blockade of JAK-STAT, the pathway through which interferon is known to upregulate MHC2 expression. So, in summary, the findings of Ramondo and colleagues demonstrate that T-cell-engaging immunotherapies upregulate expression of MHC2 on AML blasts, both in vitro and in vivo, and that the mediator of this effect is interferon gamma. By elucidating this mechanism of action, the authors have provided an additional rationale for using T-cell engagers and CAR-T-cell therapy for patients with AML relapse following allo-HCT. That's according to Martin Bornhauser of Technical University Dresden in Germany, who provided a commentary on the findings. In his commentary, Bornhauser describes this work as T-cells reloaded after allogeneic HCT. He says this research opens up a, quote, new and exciting strategy, unquote, for treatment of relapsed AML post-transplant and provides a convincing justification for pursuing clinical trials. Altogether, this suggests that using interferon gamma, bispecific molecules, CAR T cells, and other immunotherapies is a potential strategy to treat patients in post-transplant AML relapse. Doing so may not only have an anti-leukemic effect, but may also rejuvenate the graft-versus-tumor effect by reversing down-regulation of MHC2 on AML blasts. Finally, let's turn to a research article titled, Fecal Microbiota Transplantation from Young Mice Rejuvenates Aged Hematopoietic Stem Cells by Suppressing Inflammation. The first author is Jiang Jun Zhang of Zhejiang University School of Medicine in Hangzhou, China. Throughout life, hematopoietic stem cells, or HSCs, maintain balance in blood cell production. However, with aging, HSCs gradually lose their capacity for regeneration and engraftment, while developing a bias toward myeloid differentiation and increased risks for development of malignancies. These defects have been linked to DNA damage, changes in transcription and epigenetics, and elevated levels of reactive oxygen species. This raises the intriguing question of whether it's possible to turn back the clock, so to speak, on hematopoiesis, reversing the effects of aging. But age isn't the only factor. An increasing amount of attention has been given to gut microbiota, given its central role in host health. Emerging data suggests that gut microbiota play a key role in both normal and abnormal hematopoiesis. In mice, using antibiotics to wipe out gut microbiota disrupts hemostasis in hematopoiesis, And when those mice received fecal microbiota transplantation from mice not treated with antibiotics, the detrimental effect on new blood cell formation was partially abrogated. Another line of research discovered that gut microbiota in older mice promote higher levels of interleukin-1 which contributes to the myeloid differentiation bias that occurs with age. And gut microbiota have also been shown to modulate the function of marrow macrophages and their release of iron following red cell recycling, ultimately regulating fate decision in hematopoietic stem cells. So could gut microbiota be an avenue toward the rejuvenation of aged HSCs? That's the question that Zhang and co-authors sought to address in their research study. In the paper, they describe how fecal microbiota transplantation from young mice restored hematopoiesis in aged mice, and through genetic sequencing and metabolomic analysis, they were able to shed light on mechanisms behind the benefit of fecal microbiota transplantation. They eradicated gut microbiota in older mice, who were 20 to 24 weeks of age using antibiotics, and then transplanted these mice with fecal microbiota from young mice of seven to eight weeks of age. Four weeks post-transplant, they saw a significant decrease in myeloid differentiation and corresponding increase in lymphoid differentiation in the fecal transplant recipients. The transplant also rejuvenated aged HSCs, which exhibited improved repopulation capacity in the short and long term, as assessed by competitive repopulation assays, Mechanistically, the investigators showed that transplantation of fecal microbiota from young mice led to attenuation of pro-inflammatory signaling. Single-cell RNA sequencing results demonstrated that the transplant mitigated reduced pro-inflammatory gene programs and promoted lymphoid differentiation. Transplant also upregulated the FOXO signaling pathway. In previous research, the FOXO pathway was reported to protect HSC from DNA damage and ameliorate aging. On a systemic level, fecal microbiota from young mice restored gut integrity and reduced circulating levels of interferon gamma and IL-6, implicating the aged microbiome itself as a trigger for gut dysfunction and systemic inflammation. Delving deeper into the composition of the microbiota yielded further insights. Fecal microbiota transplantation reshaped both gut microbiota construction and the metabolite landscape, as determined using 16S RNA sequencing and mass spec, respectively. In particular, recovery of hematopoiesis and rejuvenation of aged HSCs was promoted by lacnosperitiae and tryptophan-associated metabolites. Taken together, one might say these findings suggest that young bugs rejuvenate old blood. That's the title of a commentary on this study, authored by Eric M. Pietras of the University of Colorado Anschutz Medical Campus in Aurora, Colorado. Pietras says the findings advance our understanding of how the microbiome regulates the function of hematopoietic stem cells in the context of aging. He says that research shows that young fecal microbiota can rejuvenate HSC function via a metabolic circuit that leads to suppression of inflammation. Thus, intestinal dysbiosis and dysregulated metabolism might be targetable triggers for so-called inflammaging aging impaired function of hematopoietic stem cells. This could be translatable into improved patient outcomes, Pietras says, if approaches are developed that alter biome composition along the lines of fecal microbiota transplantation. Alternately, dietary supplementation strategies could be developed to compensate for dysbiosis. Altogether, considering metabolism as a target may be a novel way to restore hematopoietic and immune function while avoiding potential safety concerns such as cytokine blockade that are seen with immunosuppressive therapies. You have been listening to The Blood Podcast. For a list of additional authors, as well as more detailed articles and commentaries on which this podcast is based, please go to bloodjournal.org. Be sure to join us next week for another episode. Thank you for listening.